This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is sponsored by Book Riot's TBR. TBR is Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Tired of wasting money on books you end up not loving? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and then sit back while a bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Thursday, March 12th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? <laughs> you know how I'm doing. <laughs> Everything is on fire, Kim. <laughs> That's true. It is. It does feel like everything is a little bit on fire or there's like smoldering thing. I don't even know. I know what you're trying to say. Um, no, I, I, I believe in the importance of not over panicking right now or not generally panicking right now. Um, but it does feel like, oh, my gosh, so many things are happening. Um, we were talking just beforehand about this, but there are some um, positives to come out of this in terms of book stuff, right? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, the recommendation to engage in social distancing to avoid spreading um, uh, viruses and illnesses from person to person is probably good news for readers who and introverts who are always looking for excuses to say, uh, I would like to stay home and read a book instead. So. You know, that's part of my weekend plans anyway, is to try and not go out very much, just for my own sanity as much as anything else. Well, and speaking of that, yes. um, so my favorite readathon, 24 in 48, where you're supposed to read for 24 hours out of 48, usually on the weekend, well, always on the weekend, uh, is having a, it, they, usually they do it like with prizes and hourly challenges, and they are just, they're like, you know what, we're just going to throw a readathon together, and we're going to call it the 24 and 48 social distancing readathon. <laughs> so I was delighted by this. So it's happening March 21st and 22nd. It's honestly, you just use the hashtag um, on their website and you just read and it's kind of a way because even if you are an introvert you still need like social interaction and um, you know some kind of feeling of being around other people so if you can't physically do it this is a way to interact with people online yep that I just looked it up because I was curious and the 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 tagline is basically stay home wash your hands read books that's all um, which <laughs> I think is delightful so that that is excellent. I'm going to put that on my calendar. And yeah, it's it feels I think we talked about this a little before we started. It feels a little frivolous to spend time talking about books when there are so many things it feels like we should worry about, but 
Um, you pointed out that one of the consequences of kind of this public health scare and all of it is that a lot of authors who have books coming out right about now are having to cancel their book tours, either because their publishers want them to, or because they would like to, or because their hosts would like them to. Um, and so they're in a really tough position of trying to promote this thing that they're very proud of at a time when um, we're we're not gathering in the same way that we usually do. So it's... Uh, a good time to talk about books, even if it feels a little like there's a lot of other things we should worry about, you know? Truth. And uh, one of the awesome things uh, that I love the most about Book Riot is how much we talk about new books and are like there to kind of, you know, keep people in the know. So Mm -hmm. particularly with genre podcasts like For Real, where if you want to know about new nonfiction books, we're here for you. So um, I'm psyched to talk about those and prop up some authors this episode. Um, But also, you know, if you're wanting to know about other ones, check out. There's um, definitely all the books. <laughs> covers oh my gosh, yeah. A whole lot of them. Uh, but yeah, we've there's a, there's a lot out there. But definitely if you want to kind of help out any authors who have books coming out soon, just put a little um, more, like take like, I guess like five minutes in your day and just look up like what are some new releases coming out and um, either get them from your library or purchase them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, So with that, our second sponsor for the episode is Libro.fm. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite bookstore. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobook releases like The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. I haven't gotten to that one yet, but I want to. The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Adeyemi, and Over the Top by Queer Eyes Jonathan Van Ness. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. And listeners of For Real can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. Sign up with code BR3 at Libro.fm before Saturday, April 25th, and you'll get two extra audiobooks delivered that day in celebration of Independent Bookstore Day, a one-day party taking place at local bookstores all across the country. It's a day to celebrate the unique ways your local bookstore and booksellers contribute to your community. So again, that is Libro.fm, code BR3. You'll get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. And again, because we're all supposed to stay indoors, this this is an awesome (laughs) way to support local bookstores. Okay, I'm done. It is. And I I use Libro.fm just personally, and I think it's great. So definitely check that out. All right, so uh, we will start this week with um, nonfiction news, which we actually, I think, have uh, what to me feels like ultimately good news, although the start of this story is not excellent. And the, the, I guess the end of the news story is that Shat uh, acquired and was going to publish a memoir by Woody Allen. Um, and they, after staff walkouts and other objections and outside pressure, uh, elected not to do that, uh, which I thought was a good outcome. So um, I guess I'm going to quick recap the story and then we can chat about it unless you have anything initially you wanted to to say. I'm just so excited that they canceled his contract, but carry on. 
Yeah, I know, me too. So um, uh, in, uh, I believe it was late February, early March, uh, Hachette announced that they were going to publish Woody Allen's memoir in April 2020. Um, many people spoke out against that, that he should, they should not be publishing his memoir and giving him space. Uh, one of the prominent critics was Ronan Farrow, who um, wrote the book Catch and Kill last year, which was about the Harvey Weinstein case. And um, also about how powerful men in certain positions help uh, protect other powerful men from repercussions for their actions. Um, and he, um, and interestingly, in the book, he also spent some time grappling with uh, his sister Dylan Farrell's accusations against Alan and um, how he initially responded to them and how he has grown to see them differently and how that affected his family. And so that experience um informed how he approached, I think, some of his reporting with Harvey Weinstein and uh, all of that. So anyway, Ronan Farrow spoke out against this book. Um, and then employees with imprints at Hachette, Grand Central, and Little Brown staged a walkout in New York and Boston uh, last week. Uh, and after that walkout, uh, Hachette announced that they would no longer uh, be publishing the book. And so at this point, from what I can tell, it looks like it won't be published by anyone at all. So uh, that is a, a good ending, I would say. It's just so awesome. And, like, I was so <laughs> proud of everyone who took part of that walkout. Like, because when the news came out that Ashet was buying it, it was just like, are you serious? And then to see its employees be like, uh, no, we do not believe in this. And then to mm -hmm. take action collectively like that, it was so great to see. It was, yeah. One of the statements Ronan Farrow made, I thought that was really uh, power compelling, was he talked about how Hachette, Hachette is also uh, his publisher. So um, he was he also announced that he was going to cut ties with them. And so um, he, in one of his statements, said that Hachette concealed the decision for me and its own employees while we were working on Catch and Kill, uh, which was another book about how powerful men avoid accountability for sexual abuse. So just really hypocritical to be publishing a book that's as widely, I think, respected and regarded as Catch and Kill, and then follow that up with publishing the memoir of a credibly accused child molester is just, um, yeah. Yeah. But it is not being published, so I think that is ultimately a good news and proof that advocacy and engagement and protest can make a difference even at a time when it feels like it, it doesn't always. That's such a nice final message. Yes, yes. Got to find inspiration where we where we can. So congratulations to uh, employees there for making a difference. All right. Uh, so with that, we will um, hop into new books. We've got four of them to talk about this week that we're excited about. Um, I feel like I've been talking for a while, so why don't you go first? Oh, sure. So my first new read for this week is A History of Islam in 21 Women by Hossein Kamali. It's out March 10th. Kamali is the Associate Professor of Islamic Studies at Hartford Seminary. He has a PhD from Columbia and holds the Imam Ali Chair in Shia Studies and Dialogue among Islamic schools of thought. So in short, he's very smart and is um, really focused in this book on giving a sort of like very balanced, as historically accurate as possible, biography of, the, uh, of 21 women. So this goes from uh, like 11th century Yemen to 16th century Spain and Istanbul and India, and then uh, 19th century Persia, the African savannah, and then all the way to today. So it's uh, it's kind of this um, time-traveling journey across the globe all through, you know, the lens of um, 
these women sort of role in Islam. Uh, he talks about the sort of first believer, Khadijah. Um, he talks about Noor Jahan, who recently had a, a pretty big book come out about her. Um, so this is if you want a very sort of shortened version of, the, of that giant biography, then check this out. And he goes all the way to uh, today and the architect Zaha Hadid, um, who does really amazing work. So it really does um, span this large amount of time and geography, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, And they're just sort of, it's this list of these prominent women in one of the largest religions in human history. So, I mean, obviously, Islam has made a huge, had a huge impact on the planet, um, and should be, like, women in that movement should be known about if only for that, if not also because every human is fascinating. And <laughs> I think that if we had the opportunity to learn in depth about anyone's story, it would be interesting. But here are 21 of them. So again, that is A History of Islam in 21 Women by Hussein Kamali. Excellent. That sounds super good. Ooh, very interesting. All right. Um, so my first pick is also a book about uh, women making uh, impacts on history, I guess. And it's called The First, The Inside Story of the Women Reshaping Congress by Jennifer Steinhauer. Uh, it came out March 11th from Algonquin. Uh, and this book is The Dust Jacket Closet, a lively behind-the-scenes look at the historic cohort of diverse, young, and groundbreaking women newly elected to the House of Representatives in 2018 as they arrive in Washington, D.C. Um, so the author, Jennifer Steinhauer, is a New York Times reporter. And she opens the book with um, the 2018 election when uh, a record number of women were elected to Congress, many of them in the House of Representatives. The book looks at the kind of the first year and a half of their time in office um, from when they were elected to um, right up until around the impeachment inquiry and looks at just kind of the the range of experiences that they bring to Congress and then what it means having this record number of women actually serving. Um, So there's parts of the book who are about kind of the more most progressive members of this new freshman class, uh, women like the squad. Uh, and then there's a whole group of more moderate uh, women called, uh, they nickname themselves the badasses because they all have this national security background. Um, and so she looks at kind of the range of their experiences in the, the districts that brought them to Congress. So, um, There's stuff in the book about kind of how they transitioned from campaigning to actually like learning to govern, um, what it's like to go from being like idealistic um, out on the trail, telling everybody what your vision is to like actually having to figure out how to work within these institutions and with more experienced lawmakers and kind of this system that puts um, limits on what you can do. Um, And I just thought this one was so great. Um, In addition to kind of covering these freshman women, it gives a history of women in Congress. It looks at previous trailblazers and elected women and how they um, kind of made their mark in different ways. It looks at kind of the complications of being a woman and how, like, even today, Congress (laughs) doesn't always – isn't always friendly to women in different ways. Um, Looks at – um, kind of why there are more women on the Democratic side. There's a section on what it's like to be a Republican female lawmaker, which I thought was actually really interesting, um, and just kind of goes at it from a bunch of di- different directions. Um, I would say it's largely like a pretty warm book. Like she is um, 
not like overly friendly to the women in the book, but certainly like is looking at kind of both of their kind of good qualities and some of their flaws. Um, she has a few <laughs> digs at, at AOC that I thought were kind of funny. I'm not like mean, but just um, pointing out how being kind of a progressive uh, voice is one thing, but being a progressive lawmaker who gets things done is something different. And um, I thought that was a, a valuable perspective. And yeah, it ends right around the time they're making the decision to pursue impeachment. So I'm not sure about the shelf life of this book, like how long it will feel like relevant and important. But at this moment, I think it's really interesting and a nice reminder that kind of despite how grim things are, we do have these really cool, um, this really cool class of freshman women who are making a difference in Congress that's historic and, and interesting. So uh, that is the first, the inside story of the women reshaping Congress by Jennifer Steinhauer. So... For a sec, when you were like, there are digs at AOC, I was like clasping my pearls because I was <laughs> so upset. But um, I think that what you said was valid and like, or at least like, you know, a valid point to make a uh, thing to keep in mind when um, looking at these figures. So uh, so I'll allow it. Yeah, I, di- I didn't think it was mean. I just think it was like, I think when you have sort of a person whose voice becomes sort of representative of trying to... Of, in the way that hers has sort of become representative of all freshmen women, I think like acknowledging that like these are still people and they still have, you know, flaws and um are not not perfect is is important. Yeah, no, that's it's a good point. Also, I this book was not on my radar at all. So I am going to add that to my library hold list. The first. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> okay. So my other new pick for this week is it's very kind of like light escapist if you just want something that's (laughs) just like this is fun i'm enjoying this uh then this book is great it is thinking inside the box adventures with crosswords and the puzzling people who can't live without them by adrian Raphael. it's out march 17th from penguin when i saw that this was coming out i was like oh thank god (laughs) like yes A book about the crossword culture, because those people are such nerds. And I like, I think I tried to be a crossword puzzle person at one point, and I'm just not smart enough. I couldn't do it. I was like, I can never solve the whole puzzle. (laughs) So I really respect those who get really into it. Um, So, okay, the crossword puzzle was invented in 1913, which... I don't even know if I'm surprised by that, because then if I'm like, well, when did you think it was invented? I'm like, I don't know. Hasn't it kind of always been here? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. So a newspaper editor at the New York World just came up with it as like a thing to fill space, which is just so weird looking at that now, because it's it seems so kind of just a part of culture, um, even if you don't do them. So she does first person reporting, um, Adrienne Raphael does, and kind of. Uh, also looks into, right, like this, uh, like the annual American crossword puzzle tournament and talks to these people who are so, okay, she talks about people who are at the crossword puzzle tournament of like the best crossword puzzle people ever, right? Doing the in, these like insanely hard crossword puzzles. And in their break time between sets, they pull out another crossword puzzle book <laughs> to keep doing it. Because they just love it so much. Like, it's so endearing. And I love any kind of, like, deep look at, like, a subculture where it's just people loving something so much. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just really heartwarming. So 
Uh, yeah, she also, she talks with uh, the New York Times crossword editor and NPR's official puzzle master. And she looks, uh, she does this like behind the scenes look into how the gold standard of like America's crossword puzzles um, is made. So you get this kind of in-depth uh, knowledge, I guess, of the creation of the crossword puzzle in case you were wondering how they make all those words fit together um which i was so again it's just it's such a fun little book it is thinking inside the box adventures with crosswords and the puzzling people who can't live without them by adrienne raffel i'm so deeply jealous that you talked about this one because it sounds awesome and i want to read it so bad and i don't know if i'll have time (laughs) Because it sounds amazing. I love books like that. Maybe maybe with social distancing, you'll have some time. Ah, that's true. <laughs> I, I may have all the time in the world. Good point. Good point. All right. Uh, my second pick for new books is not light uh, like that, but it is really good. So here we are. Um, it is called Stamped, Racism, Anti-Racism, and You by Jason Reynolds and Ibram X. Kendi. Uh, and so this book, uh, the subtitle is a remix of the National Book Award winning Stamped from the Beginning. And so this is a... Um, a young adult adaptation of Stamped from the Beginning, which won the National Book Award. Uh, And so Jason Reynolds is a young adult author, so he's the one who's kind of doing the adaptation. Um, And it is geared at uh, ages 12 and up, which um, I've been listening to the audiobook. I got a galley, or is it a galley if it's an audiobook? We're going to say that it is, Um, via Libro FM. And so uh, I do think that age, like 12 and up, is probably pretty accurate. Like, it definitely feels on the young end of YA, but I still am really finding it super interesting. So um, the book is a, a history of racist ideas in the United States and uh, offers some hope and looking forward to ideas about how we might have an anti-racist future. And so it starts all the way back before the United States was even founded, um, talking about the first racist. So like the first person who uh, espoused and then wrote down and shared racist ideas. Um, and then all the way through kind of today and so how we feel things and why the poison of racism lingers in our country and i there are some really funny parts in this book which sounds really weird to say for a book that's about the history of racist ideas but um, i think jason reynolds does a really nice job of sort of making things make sense to kids and teens but also like having kind of a, a sense of humor about them so they stick better so like um one that stuck out to me was he talks about thomas jefferson as being uh the first guy to say i've got black friends uh which I, <laughs> I, I said that was really funny um and so uh the other thing i really like about it is that because it's a book about racist ideas um he's able to um kind of illustrate some really complicated discussions about different leaders uh, that we have historically admired, both black and white, um, and the ways that they approached ideas about race and integration and the differences between races and whether there are any and how we should do about that and, how you know, all of these kinds of things, black exceptionalism, and how all sorts of different thinkers approach it in different ways um, and that you can have kind of admiring and conflicting thoughts about different people at different times in their lives and through the different ideas that they had. And I think he does a really nice job of giving all of that in a way that's really digestible. Um, 
it moves along super quickly. The um the audiobook is not really very long and it has really it has made me want to pick up the adult version and really um maybe dig into this a little deeper at a time maybe when my brain is not quite so uh scattered. But um it really is it's good. It's funny, it it moves along and it's but it doesn't feel like it's dumbing down any of these ideas. It's just making them a little more digestible. So uh if you're looking for something either for a kid in your life or um because you are curious about this topic but want something that's maybe a little easier to get through um definitely do recommend it it is stamped racism anti-racism in you by jason reynolds and abram x kennedy and you said that the adult version is is also called stamped or no it's called stamped from the beginning uh and it won then by abram x kennedy he's the author so he does the intro of this one but then he wrote Stamped from the Beginning, which I want to say I won the National Book Award like two years ago, but I could have made that up. I'm not 100% sure. Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. So that is new books for this week. So uh, there are many more out there. So please take a look at them and see what you can do. And uh, now we're going to shift gears into our weekly theme. Uh, and <laughs> this week we actually... Um, maybe give you a little peek behind the podcast and how things uh, come together. We actually had a disagreement about our theme for this week. (laughs) (laughs) Normally, uh, how how we do things is like we brainstorm ideas, one of us pitches something, the other person either agrees or counters with a different idea or offers a way to adapt it that we think might be more accessible for both of us uh, and this week neither of us really budged on our idea so uh, we decided we would do both and we will have uh, our theme will be snake math uh, because Alice wanted to do books about snakes for St. Patrick's Day and I wanted to do books about math for Pi Day and we did not agree (laughs) (laughs) I just like that this is like our dividing day moment is when I was like snakes and you were like no we're doing math because of Pi Day. (laughs) I just I really don't like snakes. They scare me and I did not want to read a lot of books about snakes. I mean that's fair. Maybe though if you learned more about snakes your fear of them would lessen. Maybe if you learned more about math your fear of it would lessen. I don't think that's true. (laughs) So anyway, snake math. I will go first with one of my math books. So uh, the first book I have is How to Bake Pie, an Edible Exploration of the Mathematics of Mathematics by Eugenia Chang, uh, which is a book that I think came out in 2015, and it explores what math is, how it works, and uh, all of that kind of stuff. So it's basically an introduction to logic and the beauty of mathematics, and she does that by using analogies and comparisons uh, about cooking and being in the kitchen. So uh, Chang is a mathematician who studies uh, category theory, which I learned is um, has to do with relationships, context, processes, principles, structures, cakes, and custards, and is really the study of the structures that hold math together. So um, she is explaining math and different math concepts and things as through analogies and, and, and talks about math as an analogy between different things. So she uses recipes and kitchen stuff to talk about how math works. Um, it is incredibly nerdy. Uh, it is just, you can just, some, you know how some books you read them and you can just like tell this person is a really nerdy academic. 
Um, and I mean that in the best possible way because I really love that. Um, and that's what this book really is. And then um, she has throughout it, just like Peppered, these really funny little stories about herself and kind of her experiences in the world that just give you this like very – very charming sense of of how odd she probably could be um and i just find it really delightful um i will admit i have not gotten as far through this as i wish that i had because my brain has just not been able to focus on a lot of things lately um but it is it is really fun when i have been picking it up and so i'm kind of working my way through it slowly but it's really it's really a delight so that is how to bake pie an edible exploration of the mathematics of mathematics by eugenia cheng Okay, so I have a question. Okay. When you say very nerdy academic, what I think is this is an academic nonfiction book about math, which no. sounds very daunting. So is that is that not how you meant it? No, I don't think it's very academic. I think like you can just tell that her that she is a she's a, she's an academic person, and so I think you just get that vibe from her. But the the tone of it is not academic and serious like the cover of the paperback has this very funny like illustration of a pie on it it's it's not it's not dense I would. okay that is a wonderful clarification and thank you very much now on to snakes <laughs> <laughs> so uh my first snake book there are two is the book of snakes a life-size guide to 600 species from around the world by mark o'shea um, I thought that there would be more books about snakes out there. It turns out there are a lot of books about snakes for children. Apparently, the older one gets, the less people want to read about snakes. You don't, I don't say. Know why. You don't yeah. say. You know what, Kim? <laughs> this, this is a time of affirmation. <laughs> um. So, okay. So this book, though, is really, really awesome. And when I was trying to find the aforementioned books about snakes, uh, it kept popping up as basically like, this is the main book about snakes that you should read. So it talks about 600 species of snakes, which is covering one in six of all snake species. So that's cool. That means there are, if my math is correct, ooh, tie-in, 3,600, right? Six times six is 36? Yeah, Mm -hmm. 3,600 types of snakes. So this is 600 of them. One of the awesomer things about it, if you will, is so for each type of snake, there are close-ups of the snake's head and a section of the snake at actual size. So you will learn about all these different types of snakes and then be like, oh, so that's how big it is. Interesting. Because that's what I did. So... This allows you to, like, examine these intricate scale patterns, which, you know, you normally aren't able to do because snakes are a little bit scary and you don't know if they're poisonous, although you will after you read this book. And then it also kind of talks you through, uh, I mean, it's part of this, but it talks you through, like, the zoology and then just, like, behavior. I don't know if that falls within zoology of the snake. And um, it's written in, like, a non- nerdy scientist way again so you know get kim's pie math book and then <laughs> if you're looking for non-academic but smartly written stuff um and then they talk about uh herpetologists and herpetoculturists will both like this book so i did not know herpetoculturist was a word and that's the kind of thing that you get to learn from this book so again that is the book of snakes a life-size guide to 600 species from around the world by Mark O'Shea. That sounds genuinely horrifying to me. What? <laughs> it's they can't hurt you. They're on paper. I, I know. 
That's, do you? No, I, I don't. I don't. Oh, gosh. Okay. Oh, all right. My second book about math, which is not scary, uh, is called Naked Statistics, Stripping the Dread from the Data by Charles Whelan, which is another book around 2014, I believe. That is a book about the real-world applications around statistics. So looking at stuff like batting averages and political polls and game shows and medical research and the Netflix algorithm and marketing and looking at how statistics has a role to play in all of those different areas. So um, he starts by looking at kind of the uh, intuitive leaps that are behind good statistics and then also how like biased and careless people can both misrepresent or manipulate data or both uh, to their own end. So um, he also kind of looks at the limits of statistical analysis. Um, so what it, what statistics can help us kind of intuit versus what statistics can actually prove, because uh, those things are really different. Uh, often statistics are just a way of kind of showing um, showing relationships, but they're not proof of something. Uh, they're just likelihoods. So uh, he talks about that and kind of what those different things mean. So the reason I was excited about this book and why I've been slowly making my way through it is because um, I used to work in newspapers, and one of the things that I wish that I had spent more time learning about was statistics because they're just so much a part of just so much of what we deal with every day, uh, and everybody is trying to look at percentages and likelihoods and all of those things, and it can be really hard to kind of parse that out and really understand what is this number saying to me versus what what does it actually like what does it actually mean um and so this book kind of gets at some of those questions to try and better understand when someone is using statistics what are they actually saying and what what kind of weight should you put behind that so um i will say that this one feels like there are a lot of numbers in it um he does often toss around kind of graphs and there's formulas into some of it and so i have found myself skimming some of those parts just because um i was having a hard time wrapping my brain around them a little bit, but um, I'm still getting a lot of it out of it, even if I'm kind of skimming over some of the very specific numbery parts of them, which is maybe not a good thing to admit when you're talking about a book about math, but that's all right. So uh, I have, I think this one's interesting too. So uh, that is Naked Statistics, Stripping the Dread from the Data by Charles Whelan. I just really enjoy and appreciate you, Kim, <laughs> and the things that you enjoy. I think it's really great. <laughs> Okay, so my other snake book is Serpent's Tale, Snakes in Folklore and Literature. It's edited by Gregory McNamee. I was so excited to find this book because I was like, yes, I will focus on one book that's about snake biology and then one about snakes in folklore. So, because I feel like they're really interesting paired together, right? You've got like the sort of physical fact thing and then like how humans have taken this very real animal and what it has meant to us from basically the beginning of humankind. Um, we have always had some kind of relationship with snakes. We have always had some kind of interpretation of them in our stories. And it's it's an international um, phenomenon. So what this book, it takes these stories and it presents them. So you've got stuff from Africa, um, Australia, North America. I think it's the um, Akimel Oodham in North America. And then it also talks about prayers from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, um, Brother Grimm fairy tales that they collected, a poem by Emily Dickinson, and a journal entry by Darwin, because let's just run the gamut of this. Um, so 
basically, again, like his his whole idea with this is looking at the bond between humans and snakes throughout these stories um, from around the world. So how we associate snakes with nature's kind of elemental forces and how we attribute special qualities to snake eyes and like snake skin and then how they have they say presided over all phases of our existence from like creation to death and, and resurrection. And they snakes are just kind of everywhere throughout um, human history in the stories that we tell. So if you're interested in kind of seeing potential commonalities between those stories and um, trying to just figure out what has been up with that, uh, for lack of a better phrasing, for again, like thousands of years, uh, then that is Serpent's Tale, Snakes in Folklore and Literature, edited by Gregory McNamee. So I will say that one actually does sound pretty interesting. Because, um, yeah, you're, you're right. There are snakes in like so many different stories, and they're so much a part of a lot of those things. But they, they show up in different ways and have different, yeah. That one, that one does sound interesting. So good pick. I, Hooray! I, I accept that. So, uh, <laughs> so that was snake math in which we did not agree on a theme. And so we each did our own thing. Uh, we will be back to being on the same theme next week, I believe. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, part of the other part of that is like you have suggested snakes. I think every year that we've done this podcast around March because of St. Patrick's Day. And I have refused every single time. So. <laughs> So we have finally, uh, finally done that. <laughs> compromise, <laughs> compromise, indeed. Not is it really compromise though? If we like each just decided to do our own thing, maybe uh, not. Maybe not. <laughs> it's, it's something. Anyway, all right. We will uh, wrap up this week's episode as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now at this very moment. Um, so I am super excited because I am in the middle of a, an audiobook that I'm really enjoying. Um, so I love the Veronica Speedwell uh, mystery series by Deanna Rayborn. Oh, yeah. They are about a uh, Victorian uh, lepidopterist and uh, detective. She solves mysteries related to Victorian England. Um, She has a a companion named Stoker who's very dark and brooding and handsome, and they have a flirty relationship. Uh, And the most recent book is called A Murderous Relation, and it just came out this week, and I am listening to the audiobook, and it is delightful. Um, This one uh, takes place right around the time of Jack the Ripper, Um, so they're trying to solve a mystery connected to the royal family while also uh, the Whitechapel murders are happening. Um, And so I am listening to that, and and it also is making me really, really want to read uh, The Five, The Untold Lives of the Women Killed by Jack the Ripper by Haley Rubenhold, which we've talked about on the podcast a bunch of times before, um, which you have read and I keep checking out from the library and then returning unread um, because that's what I do. Um, so I'm hoping that uh, reading this uh, Deanna Rayburn, uh, Veronica Speedwell mystery that actually is set around the same time will convince me to actually read The Five and finish it because you have talked about how great it is. So uh, yeah, A Murderous Relation by Deanna Rayburn and then The Five by Haley Rubenhold. A quick follow-up is, I know that it's a different country and a different time period. However, is it at all similar to Miss Fisher's murder mysteries or whatever that's called? Um, in terms of like her relationship with Stoker, is it kind of like Jack and Franny? Yeah, a little bit. I think Stoker is less buttoned up than um, what's his face? Jack. Jack. Thank you. Uh, is less buttoned up than him. He is more. I don't. I don't know what exactly the word is for him. He's he's a 
dark piratey kind of guy not even really a pirate just like a <laughs> yeah but they do have a fun and flirty relationship where veronica just kind of does whatever she wants and he gets dragged along and has to respond to her but he is uh it's great that sounds awesome i've been sort of like dancing around those books for a while so it's it's good to have a a very wholehearted recommendation there kim um i am in the middle of speaking of last week which we weren't but i'm gonna segue it that way um we we're doing International Women's Day, and by last week, I mean two weeks ago. And you did um, The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie, mm-hmm. and I, I picked it up at my library, as I believe I said I would in the episode. So I'm in the middle of it. It is hard, mm-hmm. but um, very, very good. So um, thanks, for, thanks for the rec there, Kim. Oh, good. I'm glad you got a good one. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so with that, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you feel so inclined, please take a minute to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcast or uh, whatever uh, podcast listening thing of your choice. Uh, rating and reviews help people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so that you can get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And uh, so with that, I am Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. <laughs>